It's 6 p.m., and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Thursday, November 2nd, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. Have you ever spotted a native Sierra Nevada bighorn sheep while out hiking? If you answered no, you're not alone. There are only a few hundred of them spread over thousands of miles in Northern California. The California Report brings us the story of a Department of Fish and Wildlife team that's been tasked with trying to bring them back from the brink of extinction. Then, after a look at local news and weather, we'll hear from PG&E spokesperson Paul Moreno about the company's undergrounding plans. That's the process of burying power lines with the intent of transitioning to a more wildfire-safe system. We close with another essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. State utility regulators will vote on a proposal that advocates say discriminates against schools, farms, and apartment buildings. If approved, advocates say these multimeter properties will be forced to sell the energy they produce back to the utilities and then buy it at a higher rate. This is Igor Tregub with Reimagine Power, a solar advocacy group. Well, this proposal is discriminatory because it effectively consigns these renters schools, farms, resiliency hubs, community centers, health clinics, and more to second-class citizenship compared to single-family homeowners. The California Public Utilities Commission was expected to vote today on a proposal that would allow Pacific Gas and Electric to increase its monthly cost to consumers by up to $30 a month. This comes as the Public Advocates Office at the CPUC recently reported a 92 percent rise in rates since 2013. That vote is now expected to take place on November 16th. And further down south, the city of Bakersfield will have to keep water in the Kern River following a judge's ruling this week. Several local environmental groups sued the city last year, saying that by diverting water from the river, it was harming the environment and the community as a whole. Kelly Damien is with the group Bring Back the Kern. It has been a desolate, dead, dried out, abandoned lot, basically. And so to have these past couple months where we got to see an alternative and we got to see what life could be like with a river, I think it really got people really excited. The winter storms replenished much of the river's ecosystem and fish have reemerged. The judge's ruling will remain in effect until the case goes to trial and a decision is made. And California Sierra Nevada had record-breaking snow levels earlier this year. The extreme weather created big problems for one endangered animal. LAist correspondent Jill Replegog went to the mountains above Bishop for that story. To me, average hiker, spotting a bighorn sheep in the eastern Sierra Nevada feels like it requires incredible luck. There are only a few hundred of them, spread over thousands of miles of some of the steepest, rockiest terrain in the country. But I've come here to the backside of Wheeler Ridge north of Bishop with expert sheep spotters Kathleen Anderson and her husband Tom Stevenson. Did either one of these have a camera collar dropped off? They're part of a California Department of Fish and Wildlife team charged with trying to bring Sierra Nevada bighorn sheep back from the brink of extinction. A lot of times you see their butts first because it's white 
The rest of the sheep's bodies match the beige and tan shades of the High Sierra's open slopes. It requires patient scanning, and good binoculars help a lot. The trick is doing it over and over and just getting good at it um, because they do look like rocks. The Sierra bighorn population began dying out in the 1800s when European settlers brought domestic sheep. Those sheep passed on respiratory diseases. In recent decades, the recovery effort was going pretty well until half of the population died this past winter. Some got trapped in avalanches, some died of starvation, and some were killed by mountain lions when the sheep were forced to move to lower elevations to look for food. These are all normal, natural threats, but because the Sierra bighorn population is so small, the extreme winter set the species recovery program way back. There are now only around 360 sheep left. At nearly 11,000 feet elevation, that's where the sheep live, Stevenson pulls out a radio transmitter and antenna out of his backpack. He points the antenna toward the rocky slopes in the distance, hoping to pick up the signal from one of the sheep's tracking collars. Sounds like she might be up there. Can you hear that? The beeping sound is faint, meaning the sheep he's tracking is not very close. We pack up and keep hiking. State and federal wildlife officials have carefully managed bighorn herds in the Sierra Nevada to help the population recover its historical range and size. At one point, we were actually thinking we might be able to delist this animal in the next five years even, or I should say downlist to threaten status. Now, that's a distant goal. In some of the herds, including one in Yosemite, all of the female ewes appeared to have died. At least, researchers couldn't find any this summer. It's frustrating. I've spent a lot of my career trying to get this animal to recovery, and when you think you have it figured out, you'll get a curveball thrown at you like a winter as extreme as the one we just had. As the climate changes, the Sierra Nevada is expected to see more extreme weather, mostly drought but interspersed with occasional heavy winters. On the trail, the sky is cloudless, and the jagged peaks around us are spectacular. But still no sheep. Did you bring a headlamp in case we have to hike out? I did. (laughs) And then, just on the other side of a hill, we see two sheep in the distance, right off the trail. Stevenson pulls out his binoculars. That looks like two ewes. They're really fat, too. They look superb. (laughs) The upside of all that winter precipitation was plentiful summer forage for the surviving sheep and their new lambs. Already those lambs helped make up for some of the losses. Whether that translates to healthier herd numbers next year might depend on whether they face another harsh winter. That was LA's Jill Replegold. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, Listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health, on the web at chcf.org lbca. Paint Care, now with more than 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's the California Report for Thursday, November 2nd. 
We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, you can get all your daily statewide news on the California Report podcast. Subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, according to Ubinet, the Community Asian Theater of the Sierra, or CATS, is preparing an exhibit in Nevada City that'll feature thousands of origami cranes strung from the ceiling and balcony of the Rood Center. They're meant to symbolize world peace, which happens to also be the theme of the exhibit in its whole. The exhibit is intended to showcase CATS 30 years of theater, arts, and culture as a joint project with the Nevada County Arts Council and the County of Nevada, who are collectively launching a new program called Art in Public Spaces. A workday is planned for November 6th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., and volunteers are needed to fold origami cranes. It'll take place in the Jean Albo Community Room at the Madeline Helling Library, located at 980 Helling Way in Nevada City. Volunteers are invited to stay as long as they wish during the day to help fold. Don't know how to fold an origami crane? Well, according to Kat's executive director, producer, and marketing director, Jeannie Wood, there are people who can teach you how. Wood says that they're, quote, planning to have all sizes of cranes hung from the ceiling and balcony on the main floor of the Rood Center. The significance of a thousand paper cranes is rooted in a children's novel written by Eleanor Coer, published in 1977. The story is titled Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes. It's been turned into a play by Katherine Schultz Miller, and it's been performed by Katz in years past. It presents the true story of Sadako Sasuke, who was just two years old when the atomic bomb was dropped on the city of Hiroshima, Japan, where she lived. Sadako, now 12 years old in the play, discovers that she has radiation sickness, or leukemia, an effect of the bombing that happened 10 years before. Wood says that in the story, the girl learns of an old tale that says if a sick person folds a thousand origami cranes, the gods will make her well. Unfortunately, she dies before finishing all 1,000 origami cranes, but her classmates complete the task and dream of building a statue in Sadako's memory, which is known today as the Children's Peace Monument. It's located in a large plaza in Hiroshima, Japan. Wood says that this coincides with the intention of this exhibit— spreading a message of friendship and world peace. The design team also intends on including panels for the Landmark Commission depicting Chinese history in Nevada County. An installation of banners from past theatrical shows Katz has produced, along with kites, posters, photographs, and kimonos, will adorn the second floor of the public space. The exhibit will be displayed from mid-January to the end of March of 2024 in the Rood Center in Nevada City. In case you forgot, that's at 950 Maidu Avenue. For further information on this event or to RSVP for the Origami Folding Workday, you can email Jeannie Wood at info at catsweb.org. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley in Nevada City, Tonight, mostly cloudy, with a low around 50. Friday, sunny with a high near 72. And Friday night, mostly cloudy, with a low around 53. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, cloudy, then gradually becoming partly cloudy, with a low around 35. 
Friday, sunny with a high near 63 degrees. And Friday night, increasing clouds with a low around 38. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming mostly clear with a low around 52 degrees. Friday, sunny with a high near 77. And Friday night, mostly cloudy with a low around 57 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. PG&E is currently in the process of undergrounding a considerable portion of their power lines. If you're not familiar, that's the process of burying the lines in an effort to help prevent wildfires caused by equipment. Up next, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Paul Moreno, PG&E spokesperson, to learn more. Every four years, PG&E and other investor-owned utilities submit a general rate case. And the general rate case covers uh, a four-year period looking forward as to how much uh, rates need to be set in order to provide gas and electric service to customers. And then the commission analyzes uh, the proposal and will often make changes and maybe even offer a couple of proposals uh, for the uh, for the rate case. That's PG&E spokesman Paul Moreno. The company wants to raise rates by 22% in order, it says, to keep up with inflation, the high price of natural gas, and to fund its risk reduction projects like the burying of power lines in high-risk areas. The CPUC, the California Public Utilities Commission, had planned to consider the rate hike for PG&E customers today, but instead pushed the decision back to November 16th. Underground power lines uh, reduces the risk of an electric ignition by about 98% compared to overhead power lines, and that helps protect communities from wildfires. We do put safety first. Uh, we understand that it is more costly to underground power lines, uh, but with our proposal, we're looking at an additional $3.40 per month per customer to get our undergrounding goals for the next four years. Yesterday, they announced that they'd hit a milestone in that project. As of October 30th, 197 miles of power lines have been buried and energized this year so far. PG&E announced a few years ago that we have a goal of undergrounding 10,000 miles of power lines in high fire threat areas. To date, we have 197 miles in the ground, and by the end of the year, our total over the years will be about 600 miles. I asked Paul to explain the process of undergrounding. PG&E works within the right-of-way for the city or county along public roads to um, install underground infrastructure. So it's in, in generally in close proximity to where the poles for the overhead now exist. Um, to do the work, we need to trench and install conduit, uh, fill it with clean material, and then string the power cables, which are insulated through the conduit, and connect those with electric boxes at various points that go out and serve customers directly. As you can see, undergrounding is, is, is pretty labor-intensive, uh, but the benefit is, is you almost eliminate the risk of wildfire ignition from electric power lines. I also asked him how buried lines might reduce the probability of public safety power shutoffs. 
there are many benefits to undergrounding power lines, uh, not just reducing the the risk of wildfires, which is you know, a very important one and, a, and the primary reason, but we also, going forward, get benefits. During a public safety power shutoff, we have to turn off power on overhead power lines because of the risk of, say, trees and tree branches coming into contact during very windy conditions, during uh, low humidity and high fire threat conditions. Uh, so we want to, pre- to prevent the potential for ignition uh, during before those weather events hit, we'll, we'll de-energize customers in a public safety power shutoff. Now, for customers who are served by underground power lines, as long as the source of energy for you is also coming along underground, then you won't be impacted going forward. So the more we can build out our network of underground power lines, the less uh, impact there will be for customers from public safety power shutoffs. The California Public Utilities Commission plans to make a decision about the proposed rate hikes on November 16th. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendoza. And now, Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, observations from a working poet. There's a push in our culture to just have one feeling at a time, unopposed. Pure joy, abject sorrow. The idea that you could have sadness mixed with a little relief is frowned on. We all suffer under this pressure, since life is more complex and changeable than that. I watch my moods shift between one highway exit and the next, for heaven's sakes. Feeling only one thing at a time is nearly impossible, and also the root of fundamentalism, something I try to avoid. But being United Statesian, I'm trained to conform to this cultural belief, and maybe humans are in general. Who knows? When something good happens, but there's a piece of it that feels off or breaks the mood, I'm disoriented. Once a friend of mine made me a dress. I'd planned to make it myself but got too busy, so she took the fabric, pattern, and little white buttons home and presented it to me a week later complete. It was so beautiful. It fit perfectly, and she'd even put pockets into the full skirt. I wore it all summer, and then my mom came to town. Almost the first thing out of her mouth was, It looks great on you. Too bad the design is upside down on one side of the bodice. The dress was dark green with small animals on it. Squirrels, birds, maybe foxes. It looked like William Morris wallpaper and buttoned down the front. Mom was right. One side of the bodice and the skirt and the sleeves were right side up, but the other side had upside down animals, and I hadn't noticed. I never wore the dress again without thinking to myself, oh well. Twenty years later, my first book of poems came out. I'd worked for a decade to get it published and loved the press, the cover, felt like a real writer at last. It was a big deal. I got a box of copies in the mail and sat down to read one. I was so happy. I signed a few, gave one to my boyfriend who clapped and cheered. This was before selfies and social media, so I didn't do any of that stuff. But believe me, I celebrated. The next day, I got a phone call from my contact at the press, apologizing. What's wrong, I asked. Haven't you looked at the table of contents? Well, no, that wasn't high on my list. I opened the book. 
there were the poem titles in the right order, but, alas, no corresponding page numbers. Good grief. This wasn't print-on-demand. Two thousand copies of my book were in the warehouse. I thought about writing the numerals in by hand, and then came to my senses. My handwriting isn't that kind of good. Instead, I learned to joke that having no page numbers was on purpose, a nod to surrealism and the avant-garde. But yikes. Ouch. Maybe these examples aren't exactly your jam. I was raised by white Anglo-Saxon Protestants who thought how things looked was more important than almost anything. But I know you have versions of your own, times when you were secretly a little bit glad about something tragic, or when disappointment splashed the party. The world is in such dire straits right now. I wish perfection existed and absoluteness worked, right or wrong, up or down, no compromising. It's so much easier. But, as both of my grandmothers like to say, dream on, sister. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Thursday, November 2nd. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you, and Vols Brothers Automotive, serving the community since 1982. Located at 962 Golden Gate Terrace in Grass Valley. Same workmanship, customer service, and community involvement. Online at volsbros.com. And Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners. Carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support. Serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening Newscast is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night. <laughs>